Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here with you until 10 o'clock talking all things Syracuse. Remember, check out our website, orangefizz.net. We've got plenty of articles, previews, recruiting analysis, rankings, you name it, we got it. Also, our Twitter at Orange Fizz, all the live tweets, recruiting news, updates. We, we tweet out our articles there as well. Plenty of stuff to check out on the Twitter. Gil, before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's show, talking basketball, uh, the football schedule that just came out on Thursday, and also NC State with Steeman Muma of backing the pack, let's rewind. Monday, an 81-58 to loss to Virginia, and you were there in John Paul Jones Arena. What, what were your main takeaways from this game? My main takeaways, first off, is that Virginia is really, really good and a lot better than Syracuse. And it wasn't one of those losses where you felt like, ah, Orange should have had it or, or anything like that. It was like, no, you're just not going to win this game. It was never going to happen. With that being said, the the most simple narrative that, that I could offer is you come into Virginia's gym against Tony Bennett's pack line defense, which is specifically designed to force jump shots and to, to not let the the opposing offense get to the rim. You better shoot the three well. You know, it's a must. And last time when Syracuse beat Virginia at JPJ, they went 12 for 30 from three. And in this game, Syracuse was five for 23. Even in the Virginia Tech win that the Orange were coming off of entering the Virginia game, uh, Syracuse didn't even shoot the, the three ball well, even though they, they won that game convincingly against the number 16 team in the country. So it, the spell of bad shooting continues for Syracuse. Yeah, just a, so a couple box score numbers. Buddy Bayheim was one for seven from behind the arc. Joe Girard, two for six. Alan Griffin, one for five. Quincy Garrier, 0 for two. Robert Braswell, one for three. And Gil, you said that the pack line defense designed to make you stay outside of the paint. Quincy Garrier had 15 points, but to me, it felt like he was largely a non-factor. He had an opportunity to have a really big game here. And you're right. It, it didn't, it didn't happen like it could have. I mean, he was being guarded one-on-one -on -one with Sam Hauser, who was probably the worst defender on Virginia's team within the starting five. J Jay Huff is a great rim protector, maybe not so good as a man-on-man -man defender, but I'll call Sam Hauser Virginia's worst defender. I, th I think there's some there's good value in that statement. Yeah. So I think that Jim Beheim did successfully identify that. It's not that hard to see. And the game plan early on was kind of to feed Quincy and have him go to the rim and drive on Hauser. He just didn't really execute and wasn't finishing at the rim with enough efficiency and in some cases was stopping and popping from the mid-range, settling for jump shots. This was a missed opportunity for Quincy, even though he ends up leading the team in points. It, it could have been a lot more. And how about Marek Dolajai playing all 40 minutes of that contest? 
I gotta say, he looked completely gassed throughout the whole second half. That's when Virginia pulled away. And once they once they got to double digits, you knew it was pretty just pretty much over. The why why would Marek Dolajai play the full game? I think it was a matchup thing. I think it was mostly a, a Jay Huff thing and wanting to wanting to so Dolajai I thought might have the quickness advantage on on Huff on the outside, and you know maybe he could drive by Huff a couple times. And I think that Beheim didn't want someone like Jesse Edwards um, or Frank Anselm or John Bullock to kind of clog up the the paint and keep Jay Huff around the basket. So I was kind of anticipating Dolajai to play a lot of minutes. I feel you. I think that Dolajai probably was exhausted and didn't play a, a, a great game. And I think that's worth scrutinizing. But I do think that you want to pull Huff away from the hoop. Right, and Dolajai is the guy who makes that happen. One more thing before we kind of move on from this Virginia game. Uh, I would say Syracuse, the 2-3 zone against Virginia Tech, that second half was an absolute clinic of how you play a 2-3 zone defense. They kept the ball out of the middle. They got in the passing lanes. They didn't allow any good free throw line shots, any good wing shots. The only, the only real chances Virginia Tech had to get buckets were on cuts down the baseline, and that's okay because they didn't make any threes, they didn't make any tough shots late in the clock, and Syracuse pulled away with it. But on Monday, Virginia's offense was an ab- like that's what that's the film you're showing to high school coaches on how to beat the 2-3 zone. And it just seemed like Syracuse didn't adjust. You know, the, I think the number one factor for which teams are well suited to beat the two three and and which teams aren't it's it's who can play as a team best there's no hero ball you can't dribble through the zone so you have to have a very cohesive and ball movement centric offense and that's what virginia has in kihei clark facilitating out of the high post which is that's the tony bennett special against Syracuse is let's put the little guy in the middle who can put the ball on the floor, distribute, shoot it from the mid range instead of putting the big guy in the middle of the zone. And, and yes, they, they did use Huff in the middle of the zone zone as well, but to have uh, shooters in Sam Hauser, basically the game plan was keep the shooters on the outside in Trey Murphy and Sam Hauser, and then put Huff and Clark in the middle and try to, you know, facilitate drive and kicks and, you know, rotations around the perimeter. You're right. It, it was a complete clinic. It was it was a masterclass. And the difference between the quality of shots that Virginia was getting compared to Syracuse was enormous. I felt like after the first half, when it was just a nine-point game, UVA ahead of SU, I felt like it could have been way more because I think Syracuse made some difficult mid-range jump shots and yeah. Virginia was hitting open threes. Every lead Virginia got, it might have been 5, 7, 9. It felt like 10, 14, 18. But, Gil, let's move on, I guess, because, they, you know, how much can we hammer this game? It was against the eighth-ranked team in the nation, the only undefeated team in conference play. Virginia's not going to play Vir- excuse me, Syracuse is not going to play Virginia every single night. And coming up, NC State this Sunday, what do the Orange have to do to get this train back on the right track? Because... This could this could be a sort of season derailing loss where everybody hangs their head because they can't make it against the you know the top of the top, 
Or this could be a misstep, and then Syracuse gets right back on track against another you know, mid-level ACC team. Yeah, it's really hard to say where Syracuse really is in the ACC. I think it's really hard to say at the moment if Syracuse is a tournament team. Tease uh, for, for Fizz feedback a little bit later on. Just because, I don't know, I, I guess... I guess the body of work against top competition is just not enough. Um, They haven't played enough good three-point shooting teams to get a good feel for how good of a defensive team Syracuse really is. But the short answer to your question, Ian, they have to shoot the three better. What is going on? I'm, I'm absolutely flummoxed by the fact that Syracuse can't shoot. This roster looks like a good shooting team. You have a point guard in Joe Girard. His percentage isn't bad. He's just not finding any looks, right? But Joe Girard is a three-point shooter. Buddy Beheim led the ACC in both three-pointers made and three-point percentage a season ago at the three. Uh, you have Alan Griffin, who shot 42% at Illinois last season at the four. Quincy Garrier has slowed down from beyond the arc, but... You know, he's shooting the ball pretty well. And then you have Marek Dolzhai, who doesn't really have a three, but has a mid-range. How is this team not shooting well? How? I don't understand it. And it's it's pretty consistent. There have been, here and there, your games against um, Ryder, the first ACC game against Boston College, when Syracuse has absolutely gone off the rails and shot the lights out from three. But for the most part, just hasn't been there. Gil, remember... It might have been maybe a month ago when we came on the air and I said I'm not sold on this team because the shooting is so suspect that I I just I continue to stick with They're doing a victory lap. This might be a bit of a victory lap. I'm not I'm not going to full I'm not going to wave my flag yet, but this is a small this is this is a half half run around the track for me here and the shot I'm the shot quality it's not just against Virginia I think it's just not good enough as a whole a lot of the three pointers are early in the shot clock they're contested they're off these like one-on-one isolation situations Alan Griffin shot 42 percent in Illinois because he didn't have the ball in his hands he caught the ball and he shot the ball and it went in a lot but he's just not doing that in the Syracuse offense it's a lot of Let's treat Alan Griffin like he's Elijah Hughes now. And that's not what he is. He's a great catch-and-shoot player. I think I think the offense has to be reworked a little bit. I completely agree with that. You got to figure out ways to free up AG. Off-ball screening. Put him in the corner off of sets that lend itself. No, there are no sets. That's kind of maybe a little bit of what you're getting at. But put him in the corner... Um, in in situations where you're going to get someone driving to the basket. How much of this do you think is a lack of of players who are penetrating? Definitely definitely a decent amount. Joe Girard is not a driver. We know that. Buddy Bayheim's not a driver. Uh, do they have anybody on this team besides maybe Kadari Richmond that gets to the rim consistently? Well, okay, so there's Dolajai. And I think he's probably your best, and it's kind of sad. He's your five. He's probably your best drive and kick player. So you look at a guy, and he. You look. You look at a guy like Quincy Garrier. He he drives, but 
he, he's not kicking. He doesn't pass. He, he's not <laughs> kicking. He is not kicking. And to call Marek Dolezal is no Nikola Jokic. To have him be your best best passer as the five is is really sad. I gotta say it. It's it's really sad. Joe Girard, I'm, I don't expect him to be a distributor. I just don't. I expect him to be a shooter, and I think the Joe games that we've seen when he's played really well, he's been off the ball against North Carolina. He hit those big shots because he was off the ball. Miami. Kadari was do- Miami too, exactly. Kadari is handling the offense, and he's distributing. He could get into the paint. And we call we call for more Kadari Rich- Richmond minutes. I think all of Fizz Nation does as well. But it seems like the times that Syracuse comes out really plays well is when Richmond gives them that extra energy. Yeah, it's it's a strange situation, and I was really disappointed in this with, with Virginia, and I, I haven't been one to sh- shoulder most of the, the season's blame on Jim Beheim because I think players are just not playing as well as they need to be, and I think part of that just isn't on the coach. But I will say this. Syracuse came out with Richmond at the point and Gerard at the two for a grand total of 60 seconds against Virginia. They came out of a timeout, and I was really excited to see what the lineup was going to do, and the game was still in reach. And then the the plug was pulled on that combination right away, and I don't understand that. How do you not try that after it was so successful against Miami, and Joe Gerard scores 23 points. It was his most efficient game at you got you have to see if that's the answer when you're in a game against Virginia where nothing's working how do you not attempt that especially when look Joe Gerard's being locked down by Kihei Clark you know that is such a bad matchup for him give him a break you know put him off the ball Kadari Richmond did not play well don't get me wrong but you got to give it more run and in a game where Buddy Beheim is one for seven you might as well get him out of there for the defensive help that's I'm not gonna make any Jim Buddy father son points here, but you gotta pull him. He's one. He's he's not shooting well. Not just this game. In the whole season, you need the help on defense. Your shoot. The shooting is killing you. Put Kadari Richmond in there. Get him in the passing lanes. See if something works. We can talk more coaching decisions after the break, especially in regards to the bigs, because we barely saw Jesse Edwards against Virginia as well. Don't go anywhere. More Fizz Radio. Also some football talk after the break. Back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross with you until 10 a.m. Remember, check out all of our stuff at Orange Fizz on Twitter and on our website, orangefizz.net. A lot of articles, FizzCast, North Carolina State previews, uh, also my weekly mailbag that I started up at the beginning of basketball season. If you have anything, check out the mailbag tweets. Just respond. I'll get to all of your questions and respond in article form. Gil, Let's talk about these rotations. It seems like we always have a problem with who Jim Beheim is playing and who he is not. There's, there's a lot of different areas to focus on, but 
let's see. In order of, like, from one to three, what's your biggest problem right now with Jim Beheim's rotations? It's, I've struggled with this a lot. And this is something I wanted to get at. And I'm sorry, sorry to go a bit of a different direction here. But on the the buddy thing, do I completely get the people who think that Buddy Bayheim is playing way too much? Yeah, uh, I get it. Why? Because he's he's not playing well. And you got to call it like you see it. He hasn't been good. Everyone who's watching, including Jim Bayheim, knows he hasn't been good. But to pull him, I think is isn't kind of it's kind of hard because what you have last season is a full body of work, a full body of work that suggests that Buddy Beheim has the ability to reach a certain level, and I think you really need him to get to that level if you want to be successful as a team. Eventually, I think it's going to happen. I still do. I don't think that. Buddy's going to finish the season as a 30% three-point shooter. I think he can, maybe the rest of the way, from a certain point on, he can get up to 34 35% and become one of the team's best, if not their best scorer. I still think that could happen. If you take him out, you eliminate the chances of that happening. We've said the right? same thing about Gerard too. If you take Gerard out of the lineup, then you risk you risk losing a great shooting performance. Uh, see, but I don't feel the same way about Gerard because I think if you look at last season, Bayheim season to Gerard season, uh, apples here, to I oranges. disagree. I disagree because we have Bayheim. Bayheim scores the majority of his points in the first half. If if Buddy Bayheim's going to go off, it's going to be in the first twenty minutes. We saw it this year when he dropped eighteen against North Carolina, gone off the map in the second half. Last year against Virginia Tech, when he scored a career high, all the points in the first half, pretty much non-existent down the stretch. Joe Girard last year, if we really want to compare their seasons from last year, he hit big shots down the stretch against Notre Dame, that sec that last second three to bring the game within one point. I, I believe they still lost that game, but he hit the big shots. There were plenty of games against Wake Forest last year. Joe Girard was that dude, strangely enough. It, it doesn't seem right, but he was. He pulled up, hit a couple big-time threes late in games. And Buddy Beheim, besides the Virginia Bank shot, which I think we can all kind of acknowledge was a streak of luck kind of thing, the, Buddy just has not turned it up in the clutch. I hear you. I agree that Joe Girard has ice in his veins. I love that about him. The points per game average, there was about a th uh, there was a, a three point difference between Beheim and Gerard. When we're talking about averages, that's more significant than it sounds. But the ability for Buddy to create his own shot versus Joe's ability to do that it is massive. And you might look at the stats and you might see that Buddy attempts way more field goals than Joe, and and that's true. It's not even close. He, but that's because Buddy has an ability to find his shot that Joe doesn't. So as as much as that skill is at a premium, I, I just see Buddy as a little bit more vital than Joe. And I think that Syracuse needs him to, to be special a little bit more than Syracuse needs Joe to be special. I don't think I think the Orange can survive if Joe Girard is just a solid kind of point guard who facilitates the offense and finds some open threes and hits him. 
I don't think Joe Girard will ever really be much of a facilitator. He'll always just be a shooter, in my opinion. When you when you score 42 points in high school, you're still going to be a shooter. But I'm with you. Bayheim needs to step it up, and I'd rather have him and Richmond late in games than Richmond and Girard. Let's move on. I think number two, problem number two that we all have okay. with Jim Bayheim's rotations is the fact that he doesn't play the bigs. Jesse Edwards was nowhere to be found against Virginia in a game where we talked about it earlier. Marek Dolzhai played the full 40 minutes, and he, he got outclassed by seven-footer Jay Huff. I, I want to see more of Edwards. After that Miami game, I want to see more. Yeah, it's just weird. Jesse has a, a really good game against Miami. It wasn't wasn't crazy. He didn't go off or anything like that, right? Seven points, six rebounds. The rebounds were the biggest thing because he he looked very comfortable in there. How do you just, after after that kind of performance, you just don't see the floor again? Like, my thing is not, not that clearly Syracuse might have, obviously the Virginia Tech game, Dolajai played really, really well. Um, not that Jesse Edwards would have made a huge difference against Virginia, but if you put yourself in Jesse's shoes, how you just you got to be kind of up in arms. Like, what do I need to do to earn minutes? You put me in, I performed, and now I'm riding the bench again. I'm just frustrated in Jesse's shoes. And also, just the fact that the messages are so mixed from Jim Beheim. One day it's we're not, he's not ready. The young guys aren't ready. They're not ready to contribute in the conference. The next, it's, oh, Jesse played a great game. He looked strong out there. He got great rebounds. I, I'm i totally with you. I'd be confused if I'm Jesse Edwards. If I'm Marek Dolajai, I'm, I'm kind of pissed because I can't play all 40 minutes against the seven-foot dude, right, that weighs 40 more pounds than I do. I want a rest. I want a rest. Is, the, is that not too hard to ask? Jim, you've been busting my butt for three, four years having me play undersized center here. This guy's ready to play. Let him play. I don't understand. I I really don't understand. You have the assets at the center spot. Why not use them, and why not try to mix it up when Virginia's beating you down low? I still think that when when it comes to actual, I guess, tangible results, I don't think the bigs could be, you know, I don't think that there's that much of a difference to be made there, right? When you look at the Richmond situation, Kadari clearly gives uh, Syracuse a, a boost, a spike in creating turnovers, defensive production overall, and that's where I think there's real, real tinkering to be done. Do I, am I frustrated to not see Jesse Edwards get five minutes against Virginia? Yeah, I am, but at the same time, I don't think it changes the game. Do I think maybe it does change the game if Richmond plays the point and maybe Gerard slides down to the three and then Bayheim maybe plays some forward uh, and then maybe you slot Alan Griffin in or out and maybe you play whoever's playing better between Alan Griffin and Buddy Bayheim because both of them have been wildly inconsistent. Both of them catch fire and then they go ice cold and I know I'm... I know I'm somewhat contradicting myself where because I just said I don't really love Buddy on the bench, but if you're going to kind of tinker with things, that's how I want it to be tinkered with. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I understand what you're what you're getting at there. Gil, one more thing, I want to talk I want to talk about this football schedule, but one more problem because I said we had 3. Where's uh-huh. Woody Newton? 
Can we put out an APB for Woody Newton? Uh, hey, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. that uh, It's crazy. I really thought he was a part of this team. I thought he was a big part of this team. And I think I think we both did. And I think we were singing his praise on Fizz Radio before the uh Oh, we the most cri- definitely were. We most definitely yeah. were. We were singing his praise after the Buffalo game. And then that was right around Christmas. So then the program went on pause. And I do know that he was... Uh, he had to be in isolation. That does not mean he was positive. Let me be very, very clear. But we do know that Woody Newton was in isolation. So he, uh, it was natural that he was going to take a little bit longer to come back. And Matthew Gutierrez of The Athletic tried to ask Jim Beheim a, a very fair question, the fairest of questions, which is, um, hey, is Woody Newton okay and healthy? Which is the most harmless way you could possibly ask this question. And Jim rolled his eyes and said, um, basically said, we're playing who is playing best in practice. And that's all he would divulge. You know what that means? Doghouse. Doghouse. Bring it back out. Jim Boeheim has sent a player out back. Woody Woody Newton's getting his licks in. For stuff going on in practice? I mean, for... Everything we've seen in the game suggests that Woody Newton, for a freshman, for, first of all, he's hitting, he's hit his threes. Can we start there? If there's anything Syracuse needs, it's someone who's going to hit his threes. But even defensively, Woody looked long, and he he was getting deflections, and his poise was good, and he wasn't turning the ball over. So I, I don't know. I'd love to see more Woody. Yeah, let's change gears here, though, Gil, because besides basketball, we have some football news to talk about. Uh, Syracuse football coming out of the woodwork after a a nice long pause. Uh, The football schedule came out on Thursday, just announced that Syracuse will play 12 games this year. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, eight. Yes, big old fingers crossed on that. Eight straight conference games to end the season. Gil, let's let's. I'm not going to rattle all the games off here, but let's touch let's touch sure. on some of the important ones. October fifteenth, Clemson in the Dome. October thirtieth, Boston College in the Dome. September eleventh, Rutgers in the Dome. That Big Ten ACC matchup crossing over from the hardwood to the gridiron. We never saw Rutgers and Syracuse play last year, but I think this week two matchup, Rutgers and Syracuse, might kind of be the defining moment for the next football season yeah you know unfortunately I think what's happened here is John Wildtack and the football program have signed two contracts with programs that got way better than anyone could have expected Rutgers and oh yeah Greg Schiano Liberty's on the schedule again folks watch out this is a disaster like let me let me not mince my words here this schedule is a disaster. If if you're looking for kind of an easier non-conference, and that's what Syracuse traditionally plays, Rutgers under Greg Schiano just went three and six in the Big Ten. That's unheard of, right? Ian, I mean, you're a Michigan fan. Rutgers three and six in the Big Ten. Yeah, Rutgers used to be like the whipping boy of the Big Ten. That they are, yeah. they actually played Michigan tough. Michigan was bad. Michigan was really bad last year. Don't get me wrong, but Rutgers played everyone tough. They stuck with everybody in the Big Ten. They are much better, and in a few years, we'll be making bowl games consistently. Right. And Liberty just had a 10-1 season. Malik Willis is back. 
16 of their starters are back. And uh, by the way, I, I power ranked um, every game on the schedule on orangefizz.net, best to worst. So check that out if you're uh, looking for details on every game on the schedule. Yeah, Syracuse could be in for a tough one. It's weird. Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, and Liberty are the first four games. You could either go 4-0 and or you could go... You're not going to go four and zero. Yeah, they could go two and two, one and three. If Ohio is anything, I mean, they're playing in Athens, Ohio. They are not playing in the dome, folks. Which is weird. Yeah, it's very strange. But this could be a weird start to the season for Syracuse. They have Florida State and Wake Forest as their first two ACC games. They could go six and zero if all luck, like you know, is raining, raining down in the three one five, but. They could also easily go 2-10, and and we just have to (laughs) rehash the Dino Babers hot seat conversation. Look, I I don't think it's an easy schedule. You do avoid North Carolina and Miami, who are the two best ACC teams outside of Clemson. So that's good. But um, I I think Boston College and Wake Forest are are programs on the up. I think think NC State is also a a really tough matchup. So, uh, you know, it's... It's not a cakewalk, but really what sticks out to me is the non-conference games, two out of the four, becoming these really difficult games that I don't think John Wildhack expected when he signed the dotted line. Uh, more schedule analysis on our website at orangefizz.net. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Stephen Muma of Backing the Pack about Syracuse and NC State this Sunday. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio. We're back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross, about to talk NC State this Sunday at 6 p.m. Here with us is special guest Stephen Muma. He writes for Backing the Pack, SB Nation blog covering North Carolina State. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. First question off the top, a big win for North Carolina State getting back in the W column after four straight losses, but a big negative losing their leading scorer in Devin Daniels. Yeah, that's a, a pretty painful uh, result of what was one, what, what NC State needed to be kind of a, a turnaround breakthrough point after losing four straight games to start the year, um, to have that setback after winning the game. It doesn't really feel like NC State won the game, honestly, after that. Um, it, so, you know, for a team that struggled so badly offensively at times, uh, not having Devin Daniels potentially for the rest of the year or at least the near term, uh, it's, a, it's a tough break. Yes, certainly. But it did snap a four game losing streak in the ACC. What clicked there against Wake? Obviously, uh, the Demon Deacons are are not one of the top teams in the conference. But was there an adjustment? Was were there things that kind of turned around for the team? I think more so it was just a good, good matchup in terms of Wake Forest being a uh, prone to turnovers, NC State being good at forcing them, um, but basically getting the defense back on track kind of after a couple of poor performances, particularly against Florida State, although that can be forgiven with the way Florida State's been playing lately. Um, but NC State needed to get back on track defensively, and they did that on Wednesday night. Um, had trouble closing out the game after Daniels got hurt, so that's a concerning thing moving forward, Some, certainly something to keep an eye on for the offense this weekend. You mentioned the defense, and uh... – Leading shot blocker in the ACC, Manny Bates, also coming back from an ankle injury. How's he doing in in terms of the injury? And also, what makes him such a great shot blocker? 
I, I doubt that he's 100%. It seems like one of those things that probably is still lingering a bit. Um, but he tends not to be, as you mentioned, he's a great shot blocker, an elite shot blocker. So his impact is really more important defensively, uh, just protecting the rim, particular with, particularly with the way that NC State likes to play uh, with more kind of a pressing heavy defense at times. Uh, having that rim protector, that shot eraser there is really important to the way they play defense. Um, so that's the big thing for them. Um, what he can give them offensively. I think he's improved in that area, um, still getting better, but he's become one of those guys who now has kind of developed a bit of a post game. We're talking to Steven Muma um, of backing the pack NC state's SB nation page, you know, this NC state defense, as you just kind of alluded to it, it is a, a pressure defense, a little bit unconventional and Syracuse has two guards in Joe Girard and buddy Bayheim who, aren't the most athletic players you'll see. Um, so do, what are they going to be dealing with as they try to bring the ball up the floor? I think there will, it's one of those things where it tends to be more of Kevin Keats kind of sporadically applying the pressure here and there. It, it'll depend a little bit, I think, on how Syracuse is shooting the ball, but certainly they will face some on-ball pressure. Um, so one of those you know, things where they'll have to make some decisions under pressure moving the ball up the court. NC State's got some good on-ball defenders. Uh, freshman Shaquille Moore has been excellent in that respect. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they contend with that. What do you think the formula is for NC State on the offensive end attacking the 2-3 zone? It's something where I think last, last season we saw in the Dome, NC State got a little bit lucky with a fluky three-point shooting performance. Ideally, NC State does not want to shoot the three-pointer like 30 times in the game. Um, so it's one of those things where they have to make sure they stay focused in attacking the zone defense with their offense and not just keep settling for jumpers over and over again. But I think you'll see in the middle, Jericho Helms will be important there in the high post. Um, DJ Funderburk is an important part, especially now. Uh, if Devin Daniels can't play for a while, he's going to be a, one of those guys that needs to step up and kind of carry this team offensively, especially in the paint. Um so I would look for hopefully more of a, a focus in those two areas. But NC State's just not one of those teams where they're going to scare you with a bunch of guys that are elite three-point shooting jump shooters. So it's one of those things where if they're cold shooting, which they could be, it could be a long day. That game last year in the Dome that you just mentioned, it was on February 11th. And it kind of felt like the end for Syracuse's tournament hopes, not completely because there was still a lot of basketball to be played, but that was a real gut punch that that fans of the orange are probably going to remember. And it was a 79 74 win for NC state. What would you describe as the main differences between that team, that Wolfpack team that beat Syracuse and this year's team? Well, first off, Devin Daniels had one of his best performances last year in that game. So that would be the most obvious one. If he can't play, um, not having Markel Johnson to, to run the point has made things, a, a, given the team a bit of a different look this year. He's, he was really, really good at creating opportunities for other guys that, and the team's kind of missing that playmaking ability this season. But I would say this team probably runs a little bit deeper, is a little bit more athletic this year, also younger. Um, so it's, it's been up and down. The team's been also had several um, COVID-related shutdowns that have kind of interrupted the season or its progress and limited who can practice and all that stuff. So it's, I think even at this point in the year, it's still a team that's trying to figure out who it is exactly. Ian Unsworth, Gil Gross here talking to Stephen Muma of Backing the Pack. Stephen, you mentioned the two COVID pauses. 
How have those affected the teams in terms of practice time, maybe getting back out on the floor? Is there, is there rhythm affected? Well, what's the biggest impact of those COVID pauses on NC State? It seems to be Kevin Keats is not typically overly specific about these things, but he's alluded to missing a good number of guys for chunks of time in practice. So they've clearly been shorthanded to, to a pretty significant degree in practice. Um, I think definitely that adds up, particularly when you're trying to work in multiple freshman players, including uh, freshman guards um, in particular, to try to get those guys used to playing in the ACC. And they struggled early. That's a big part of why NC State lost four straight games there. So it's it's not been ideal from that perspective. I want to zoom out real quick on on just the program. You know, curious about Kevin Keats and the the direction that the program is going, and if um, if frustration is building over the last couple of years. I mean, I, I think that the pack. You know, you guys would like to be in the tournament a little bit more often than you have been in the last. Uh, five years, I would say. So uh, how, how do you see the, the direction of the program at the moment? I think, I think he, Kevin Keats got off to a good start, basically just bouncing the team right back into that NCAA tournament quality. I, and I think two years ago, they were basically snubbed is my completely biased opinion. Last year, I think they probably okay. would have snuck in uh, if there had been a tournament um, towards the tail end of the, of the at-large field last year. I think they would have gotten in um, this year. You know, again, it's it's harder to evaluate. I think we could all agree just across whether we're talking about basketball or college football with with COVID and, and everything that that potentially affects in terms of your personnel or scheduling and all that stuff. Um, it's harder to evaluate progress or what's really coaching related necessarily or what's outside of your control potentially. Um, NC State has lost several games against more higher profile teams. Uh, UConn lost the Michigan game in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, so it's harder to tell kind of where the team sits that way and, and what's basically what's a personnel coaching problem. What's been a COVID problem has been a difficult thing to kind of parse this year. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of confusion around net rankings. You, you, you name it. People don't really know what's going to happen in terms of the NCAA tournament or at least the evaluation process this year. That's all we have with Steven Muma of Backing the Pack. Fizz feedback right after the break. We're taking you home on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross. It's time for everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. Gil, let's get right into it. First question, is Syracuse an NCAA tournament team? Yes or no? Right now, there's not enough quality wins. If you look at the quadrants especially, because the net ratings hate Virginia Tech. Um, So that wasn't a Q1, even though they were 16. So I think it should be no. 65% 65% of Fizz Nation is with you. Syracuse is not an NCAA tournament team. And the stats on that, I think Syracuse is 0-4 against quad one teams. And you're right. After Syracuse's win over Virginia Tech, they flip-flopped in the net rankings 12 spots. Syracuse went up from 48 to 36, and Virginia Tech went down from 36 to 48. I don't know much about the net, but over the last two years, I've observed, I've observed that the net is ridiculous early in the season. Like they are, it is a horrible, whatever the algorithm is, they should just not release the net ratings until like February to try not to make a fool out of themselves. And also they, they like weight home and away wins differently this year. 
and what how the heck are you going to do that some people have fan you can't you can't compute a, a value for every single different situation they got to weight them differently because there's really no home court advantage this year if you really look at the numbers just like there wasn't in the nfl right you can have a couple fans but a thousand fans isn't giving you a home court advantage so they need to adjust that well we're not in march yet uh gil second question What's the most important game on SU's 2021 football schedule? Is it Clemson? Is it Boston College? Is it Rutgers? Or is it another game that was not mentioned? Hmm. I think for some fans, they still really want to beat Pittsburgh. So I'm still going to go... Man, I mean, I'm just going to say Clemson, but I'm so fascinated to know what the answer to this question is because I'm not sure because, I mean, Clemson is the best team Syracuse is going to play, but I don't know if that makes it the most important. What did Fizz Nation say? Well, Clemson won 23.3% of the vote, but they actually came in second. Rutgers was listed as the most important game on Syracuse's 2021 schedule. And we talked about it a lot earlier that this Rutgers game could kind of be the tipping point of the Syracuse season, and 51% of Fizz Nation agreed with us <laughs> earlier that Rutgers might, that's this Rutgers game might decide how the Syracuse season goes. That's fascinating. Is that like a, I mean, I'm the New Yorker of, of, of us two, Ian, but like, I didn't know that there was so much, you know, New York versus New Jersey rivalry juice there, right? I mean, Syracuse is New York's college and Rutgers is New Jersey's, and I, I don't know if that's drumming up the uh, the the heat there, but also it's just a, a it's a unique opponent on the schedule that has some name brand value, and and I guess there's some Big East history there too. Yeah, my grand my grandpa went to Rutgers, but I couldn't tell you of any RU Syracuse rivalry. But you're right. When does Syracuse play Big Ten opponents? That's something completely new and mm-hmm. different. Absolutely. All right. Last question. Back to basketball here. This is not really Syracuse related because I'm not sure Syracuse has a solid chance to win the ACC regular season title. But Gil, we gave the Orange Nation three options, and of course the other Virginia, Florida State, or Virginia Tech to come out of the regular season with the ACC championship. Well, Virginia in the lead right now, the only unbeaten team. Florida State looks tremendous. They look and amazing. Yeah, they have. They have. That's a great team, but you know what? Maybe it's because I was in J- JPJ uh, earlier this week. I'm in love with the Virgi- with this Virginia team. I, the fact that they can they can shoot the ball better than they could in 2019 when they won the national championship. They're a little bit worse defensively, but you got to think that the system really carries Virginia defensively. Now they have the talent on offense. So my pick is UVA. 65% of Fizz Nation was with you. Virginia to win the ACC regular season title. Florida State at 30.6%. The other 4.2%. Virginia Tech didn't even get a vote. Uh, <laughs> poor Hokies. And then one one comment we have here on our last poll. Where's Duke? Where, where is Duke? I want to know. Where is Duke? I think they might be below Syracuse in the ACC are they, standings. Are I, they playing yes. this year, Ian? I don't know. They've opted out a couple of times. Gil, it just, it's just not Coach K's year. No. Uh, you have the, the press conference incident. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I thought that was a little bit overblown. Jim Beheim does that twice a year. Beheim's always been iffy with the reporters. 
I guess Coach K just made it national news. That's going to do it here for Fizz Radio. For Gil Gross, I've been Ian Unsworth. Enjoy the game tomorrow, NC State and Syracuse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.